We're in a study on prayer. Uh, and it's something that we've actually, this is our second year to do that, where we're studying uh, and learning what we call the holy art of prayer. That, that for us even to be the church, to do anything, is to learn how do we uh, take advantage and enjoy the fruit of the gospel that is each of us gets to pray. There's no uh, temple thing that we have to do. There's no big plan that, that we have to do to make ourselves right before God so that we can talk with him. He's already done everything that's required. And so how do we take advantage of that union, relational power that is prayer. And so we've been studying and we've been actually looking at uh, Jesus's prayer and his answer to the question when the disciples asked him, uh, hey, can you teach us how to pray? And we've been looking at his model prayer phrase by phrase uh, because we want to learn from Jesus. It's kind of uh, one of the ways to describe being a a Christian is to be an apprentice to Jesus for the rest of your life, Uh, to be the kind of person that says, oh, what are you what are you doing with your hands? Where are you, why are you doing this thing? And, and I want to learn, and I want to walk alongside you. And so we're doing that with Jesus and with prayer. And, and t- today's passage is like it's been this whole time, uh, Luke chapter 11, 1 to 4. And the phrase that we're talking about today is, your kingdom come. And so I'll, I'll read it all for us. Uh, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Uh, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is God's word. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I, I think there was probably a point in, in American history, maybe in the 80s and the 90s, probably the 90s. I don't know. I was a little kid. But when everything seemed to be going great, like we invented the Internet or Al Gore did, I don't know. Uh, and, and the Cold War was over and we just everything seemed to be up and to the right. Uh, and I think at that point, maybe you had to, if you were a pastor or a leader or a Christian, you had to convince people, hey, everything's not that great. Uh, just so you know, the world is broken. Uh, but today, you don't have to, you could, you know, get off of social media, never watch the news. You don't have to read newspapers. Uh, you don't have to scroll through social media to know just this pervasive truth, that the world is not as it should be. Uh, that, that is just all around us. You walk out the front door, you interact with a few people, you go to work, it's just there. Uh, it's just this pervasive fundamental truth that society is not well, it's not right. You know, culture is corrupt. Even the most beautiful things, it's, it's corrupted and twisted. Uh, our institutions are failing. Uh, the market is not moral. Uh, that was one of my favorite books uh, when I was a business student was reading this book, like The Market is Moral. And then it was like, whoa, the market is not moral. Uh, it doesn't have a heartbeat. It's not deciphering justice and equity and love and mercy and like human thriving. Uh, humans, you know, in our sin, we are destroying the earth, it seems like at times, as fast as we can. Uh, the only thing that we do more than destroying the, the created things is destroying one another. Like that's, that's almost, it seems like, is our hobby as humanity. You know, we abuse, we steal, we kill, we neglect. You know, the earth does not look like heaven at all. 
And you all know this, right? Like, I'm not, this is not like, oh my gosh, Brad, I didn't know that. I thought everything was really good. I thought we were living in Leave it to Beaver land. And the Brad told me that the world's not, you know all of this stuff. And, that, and that's true for the Bible. It's one of the things I love about the scriptures is that it's written in the context of the world is not as it should be. Uh, almost every page is kind of saying, this is not well. There's something broken. There's some disconnect that's happening between what it seems like we were created for and then what we're experiencing. And so then Jesus prays. He says, your kingdom, God, come. And it's a direct confrontation to the world is not as it should be. And Jesus is saying, let your kingdom come here. It's, a, it's almost as if uh, Jesus is teaching us to pray by sending invitations to God. Let, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's what it says in Matthew. Uh, Jesus calls us to pray, uh, to ask for God's presence, for him to reign in every moment, uh, in this place, in this mess. It's really telling that Jesus doesn't say and teach us to pray, hey, have perseverance so then one day you'll get out of this mess. He doesn't teach us to do that. He doesn't teach us to say, hey, let us you know, just go deep within ourselves and, and battle negativity within even though the world around us is a mess. No, he says, pray, ask, seek that the kingdom of God, that he would rule and reign in this world. Uh, this, this teaching of this prayer, it, has, it tells us a few things uh, about God and what it means to be a Christian. Uh, to, because to be a Christian is to pray you know, in this way. It teaches us that we believe in a God who sees. Because here's Jesus saying, pray for this. Someone who's walked the world, uh, he's interacted with all of the people, and he sees and he knows. Uh, he understands There's not a single thing, a single brokenness, uh, a single village that's struggling that he does not see and he's not aware of. And he says the kingdom actually needs to come. It also teaches us that prayer to God uh, is not just sort of this interaction with a a God and a being who's haphazardly involved, uh, but a God who's deeply intentional, bringing heaven to earth, uh, our earth. Uh, Jesus teaches us to see the present brokenness and to involve ourselves in its present and its future restoration. He's, he desires for us to be people that pray, not, not with apathy or nihilism of just like, ah, oh, everything's just going to go, you know, go downhill anyway. What's the point? But he teaches us to own it ourselves. And to say and to ask as if we're between two worlds, God, get involved in this present future restoration right here. Uh, We've talked about prayer being really relational uh, the last few weeks uh, and and theologically oriented when we learned about praying Father, right? Uh, We've also talked about prayer as this orientation of worship and the, the pushing away of all idols when we talked about holy be your name. And then this phrase, though, your kingdom come, it reminds us that, that prayer gets us into the brokenness of the world, seeking it to be restored. That's what your kingdom come is all about. Uh, this phrase, though, uh, kingdom come, I think it's, it's an odd phrase. You know, like if you pay attention to world history, like if you study that at any point, uh, you might have uh, images when you hear the kingdom of God that's a little scary, 
you might have these pictures of theocratic dictators who's using God and the church and kind of using it to force a certain religion on someone. Uh, or maybe if you go further back into history, you have this image of, of knights storming castles, you know, like Robin Hood, and, and, and storming a castle that's not their land. It's like, we're going to bring the kingdom of God here. Uh, but the kingdom of God that's described in the whole of scriptures is just so different than that. And so, uh, and it's also, I think this is one of those phrases that's just one of those uh, things that we all kind of assume we know what it is. And then it's like, wait, what is the kingdom of God? I don't know, that's, I think. In the kids' class outside, they're doing a word each month. Like right now, it's fellowship because Sarah's like, there's these words that we use in church that we have no idea, like, I don't know if we know what they mean, and our kids definitely don't. So it's just like communion, fellowship, uh, redemption. That's so many great words that they're gonna be learning out there. But, but for us, in the, the big kid class in here, it's the kingdom of God. Uh, what does that actually mean? Uh, there's two massive threads through the entire Bible that holds it kind of together. It's as if these two themes and these two concepts are the stitching between each scroll. So, so back in the day in the Old Testament, uh, they just had scroll after scroll of the Bible, and there, there weren't even necessarily in that great of order, but then they would be stitched together. Like Isaiah is just so long, uh, it has to be stitched together with thread because it's just so, so dense and so big. And it's as if these two themes, these two words that I'm about to say, is what holds the whole scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament. These two things run through it so deeply on, on nearly every page. And the first is, is covenant. Uh, covenant uh, is God's mission to make himself known in faithful relationship. And that's just woven through the whole Bible, that God, he's wanting to make himself known to humanity through his faithful, consistent, persevering relationship. And that's what we mean when we're learning to pray our Father. It's, the, it's that deep, kind of fruitful relationship. And then the other thing is kingdom. And it's through the whole scriptures, it's that God's mission is to rule the world in a direct reflection of his character, that that's what the kingdom of God is, is it's his mission to rule the world in a direct reflection of his character so that what he is like is made manifest and made real and made tangible in every part of life. That means that, that the God who, who seeks to forgive and to love and who's compassionate and gracious wants for us as humanity to, to live in freedom. Not like the freedom that we sing about on the 4th of July, but the real freedom that says you belong, you exist for a purpose, you're, you know, you're desired, uh, you, you have have others that depend on you and that you get to depend on. That, that kind of freedom. It's that the world would be, the kingdom of God is about the world being gracious. That as God is gracious, so is everything that happens in every interaction. God's compassionate, meaning he has mercy and he sees and, and he knows and he steps into messes. And that, that the kingdom of God is where every mess is stepped into. Uh, wholeness, love, the flourishing of humanity uh, in relationship to one another. That is the kingdom of God. And that's what he's, you know, trying to tell us to pray. That, and it's, you know, kind of interesting that Jesus teaches us to pray within those two uh, profound themes that hold the whole Bible together. And just a quick overview of the kingdom of God, because uh, I'm a nerd and want everybody else to be a nerd too, and a lot of you are nerds. Uh, and it's great. All smart people in here. Uh, the, the theme kind of begins in the scriptures 
uh, and gets really well known and, and kind of shows itself like you can't ignore it. Uh, when the people of Israel are taken from Egypt, they're, they're living in slavery and bondage. They're being told over and over again, like, you're not even worth living. Like, it's, you're not valuable enough to, to even have children. Like, your children should be killed as soon as they're born. Uh, and if you live, then it's just to, to perform something and to work for others. And, and God redeems them and restores them because he saw uh, what was going on. He takes them out. He defeats the enemies. It's this really powerful thing. And then they're walking around in the desert, and there's this promise repeatedly of, of land, uh, the promised land of, of milk and honey, and there's this, this image that they begin to have that, that God is going to take them, uh, he's molding them into a people, and then he's going to place them in a spot, and then they're going to have a place to exist uh, free from all of the oppression that they experienced before. But it was so much more than just, hey, here's a plot of land that you're going to get one day. It was about God ruling and reigning within them, even as they walked around in the desert. Uh, but when that's the context in which God gives the people the Ten Commandments, and the, the preamble to that, like, why are they supposed to follow these ten things? It's so that they would be a kingdom of priests. And that word, like, just sort of pops off, and it's like screaming as if to us, to me, maybe not to you when you read it. But to me, it's just kind of screaming that, that God is going to create a kingdom where he rules and reigns and where each person knows God and is known by God, uh, where all of life, this whole new place would be marked by his loving kindness, by his justice, by his compassion. And after those 10 commandments, while they're walking around the desert, getting ready to be in the land, uh, it's the parts of the Bible that we think are the most boring. Uh, if we did a survey, uh, you would be like, yeah, always skip Leviticus, always skip Numbers, uh, skip half of Exodus. It's just so, because God is so methodical and detailed of like, this is how you build the tent. And this is the artwork that should be there. And this is, these are the materials you should have it. And, and if your cow gets out and hurts somebody else, this is how you deal with, I mean, detail after detail of how to live. And we think that's so boring. What is God up to? But what he's up to is I want to have a kingdom where every part of life is ruled by my compassion, my justice, and my love. That, that the interaction between neighbors and what might happen there, God has a say in how restoration takes place. That, that in the places of worship that God would say, this is how I want art and culture and beauty to be. And so that's the beginning of this kingdom of God concept. The people do get into that land and, and they're ruled uh, by God as they enter into that land and that place. Uh, they have judges that God uses to kind of work and to be like warriors on their behalf. Uh, there's Deborah. Uh, she's pretty great. There was Gideon. There's several others. But what they did was, was they just simply depended on God to fight their battles. It was a really spectacular time. There would be people that, they, that would come against them. They would come to destroy the kingdom. And God would say, I'm going before you. All you have to do is depend on me, and I'm going to face those battles. And that's when God gets this name, like the king of the angel armies. Like, that's who God is. Every time you see in the Psalms, like, the Lord Almighty, it's that. That he's like the king of the armies. And they were victorious in every battle because God said so. Like, I will make you victorious. And he was the one that was victorious. But then the, the, the people looked around. They said, hey, we want a good-looking king like all the other people have. 
Uh, like, let, let's, let's have us, like, it's, it's hard having you rule and reign. So they have a king named Saul. He's tall, dark, handsome, you know, like, really uh, well-spoken, the kind of person that we often elect, you know, to rule and lead over us. It's like, well, that guy looks good. Look at his hair. His hair's perfect. He should be in. I guess we're kind of against that. We're not doing that so much anymore. Hair is less important. But, but Saul was the guy where hair was important. But he, he doesn't, like, rule and reign. He kind of rules for himself. And then, and then God kind of subversively says, that's not the king for these people. And then... Uh, this guy, this little boy, really, like young man, gets appointed as king, and his name is David. And what's described about him is that he has a heart for God, that the, the whole passion and desire of David is for God. Uh, it's not that he has God's heart placed in him, but it's that what he deeply wants and longs for is just God himself. And, and, and David, at first, you know, he's appointed king. He gets oil put on him. It's like he's the king of Israel, except Saul is running around. And he's, like, still the king. He has the throne. He has the, the chest plate and the armor and all of this stuff. And yet David is the real king. It's, it's pretty, uh, I don't know, astonishing. And eventually David has to go on the run. And he has this band of people, of, of good friends, who, who know that David's the king. And they live in caves. And, and, and they're deserted. And, and all along, he's just kind of waiting of like, when will I actually be on the throne? And, and at the same time, the, the kingdom is falling apart. Uh, but then there's this moment where, where David is actually brought and given the throne and given the place. And what David ushers in is not just a time of peace where all of the other people are defeated, but he ushers in a time of profound worship. Uh, David as a king is the king of peace and a king of worship, and that's just what filled the land and filled the people. That they had, they had enough, that they were safe, and safe just to worship and adore God in everything that they did. A wonderful time. Uh, story is a little bit more complicated than that. Maybe we'll do a whole series on David one day. But then he has a son, and his son becomes king. He had many sons, but one of his sons uh, is Solomon, who comes in and he rules. Yeah, <laughs> we got Solomon Bowditch over there. He rules uh, where, where David was ruling with the heart of God. Solomon rules with the wisdom of God, kind of knowing the mind and how God works and how he operates. And what he ushers in is a kingdom of flourishing where like gold just keeps getting piled up. People have what they need. The way that Solomon like dealt with people and organized the world or, or their little kingdom was just so uh, deeply filled with everything uh, good and just and at peace. Uh, it's a pretty great time because all the other nations come and they kind of ask, how did you people become a kingdom like this? Like, how did that happen? How did you get to this point? Uh, the kings from there do uh, pretty bad stuff. The, the, they split up. They fight against each other. The kingdoms come crashing down. And then the kingdoms that are left are kind of puppet kingdoms. And, and you have these prophets that continually come and declare uh, hope that God's not done ruling and reigning, that God will come again, he will bring peace, there's going to be a king that brings human flourishing again, but even better, there's going to be a, a, a God who will make us well, like God and, a, and his kingdom will make us so good and so well that we can actually live out that ideal of being priests uh, to one another and uh, communing with God. 
And he says that it's all going to be led by this king that has the very heart of God and the very mind of God, and he'll be a suffering and servant king. And he says, and the prophets all are there saying, that's the way. Uh, the prophets who sat there and they wept as the cities were burned were the same prophets that said, another king is coming. And it's going to be uh, like, it's going to be David times a thousand. It's going to be Solomon, but so much better. And so the people were just waiting for a king like that and longing for a kingdom like that. Uh, just this, as, even as their earthly kingdoms completely disappeared. Now, all of this means, like that's a a bunch of the Bible I just kind of summarized, but that's the thread that just keeps getting woven through. And what that means is that when Jesus comes into uh, Galilee and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, like you can reach out and you can touch it, that Jesus is saying that time, that longing, that thing with David, that thing with the people in the desert, that thing with Solomon, that is here now. You've been waiting for the story to come to a conclusion, and I am that conclusion. It means that as Jesus walked through those villages, or he talked with people at dinner tables, or even as he gave little sermons in people's homes or on hillsides, he was saying with all of that, and he was demonstrating in all of it, the kingdom of God is right here. The kingdom is here. It has started. Jesus is saying the wait is over. Uh, You don't need a long anymore. It's being fulfilled, and the promise is being fulfilled right now. Uh, When Jesus teaches us and he says to pray, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come, he's teaching us, ask for that rule and that reign from long ago to be clear and to be manifested in this life. Expect the kingdom of God to appear in this world, in our surroundings, in our uh, earthly lives. The kingdom is coming. And it's just like, uh, you know, David that, that spent so much time on it because Jesus is the king. He's walking around, and yet there's these people out there that think they're the king, and that there's this, this contested thing that's happening. Uh, he's appointed. Jesus can't be any more king than he is right now. And yet, he's saying, my kingdom is coming against all these battles and all of these earthly things. Even in your own life, you're building your own kingdom, and you're not surrendering, and you're not ready to surrender. And so this, this prayer, though, it's, just not, it's not just like this side thought prayer, like your kingdom come. I think sometimes we might pray it of like, hey, God, could you improve my situation by a few degrees? Could you bring just a little tiny bit of grace little tiny bit of your compassion right here? Uh, Or could you, God, just help me fight a little bit less with this coworker or with this friend or roommate or spouse? Or help uh, some of the people that are out there suffering experience a tiny dose of justice. But this prayer and the kingdom of God is all-encompassing. It's God, please bring your entire kingdom into this whole world. There's no qualifications of like just a little bit, just a tiny drop. It's like, no, the whole kingdom into my whole world. Make every part of it, every aspect of the situation, every aspect of my life, make it your kingdom come. Uh, And the greatest challenge for us uh, to pray that, there's lots of challenges. One is we want our own kingdom, but I don't think that's so much it uh, because we all know we're not good kings, most of us. Like, it's like pressed out of you. Uh, 
as you, you know, become an adult. If it hasn't been pressed out of you in like fifth grade, it's like, no, you're like not very good. The big thing that I think is a challenge for us is our apathy just towards it all. That like, yeah, the world is such a mess. Does anything matter? Can anything really change it? Uh, John Lennon, the British prophet and uh, singer and songwriter and the Beatles, he, he sang this song that, that he wrote uh, in the songs across the universe. You know, nothing's going to change your world. He sings it over and over again in that song. It's the song of apathy. It's kind of like this anthem of, 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 of that. Uh, in rehearsals, uh, especially if you watch the Get Back thing on Disney+, Plus, it's fantastic. Even if you don't like the Beatles, it's pretty amazing. But in that, in his rehearsals, he kind of sings between the lines, oh, I wish something would. I wish something would, but nothing's going to change your world. And then he kind of just kind of resigns and even retires into that kind of apathy. Nothing's going to change our world. Uh, Ellie Wiesel, I don't know if I'm saying that right. He's a Holocaust survivor. He was an author. He was an activist, a Nobel Peace Prize winner. I mean, so all the accolades. And this is what he says. He says, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugly. It's indifference. Ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy. It's indifference. The opposite of life is not death. It's indifference. This is the challenge of praying the kingdom of God, come. As those words come across our mind and out of our lips, we're like, we're a little indifferent. Maybe nothing will happen. Uh, I want to modify a famous G.K. Chesterton. He's like maybe actually an English prophet. Uh, he wrote, uh, I want to modify this quote, but the, the main one is, or the real quote is, humanity hasn't given up on Christianity because we tried it and it was found wanting we saw it to be hard, and so we abandoned it. That's what he was saying about Christianity about 60 years ago, 80 years ago. But this is my modification. Within the church and within our lives, as we pray this prayer, we say the kingdom or the church hasn't given up on the kingdom of God because we sought it uh, and it didn't work. No, we saw that it was hard and we abandoned it. This is the challenge of praying that. Church, like, what if we are indifferent? What if we are apathetic? What if we see the kingdom of God as being a hard thing to take root in this place, in this city, even in our own lives, and so we abandon it? That, that I think prayer is so much, it's easier to pray for uh, God, like, help me with my finances, or God, make me be less anxious, or, you know, prayers of worship. It's easier to do that than I think to pray, God, would your full kingdom come in this place? Apathy. And something you can think about later is, you know, what does indifference or apathy look like in your life? How does that manifest itself? But, but contrary to that, you have Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And you have Jesus telling all these parables that we've studied this year where he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard seed that's put into the ground and then grows and thrives. The kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast or leaven pressed into dry ingredients, and then the loaf grows, and a community feeds off of it. It's like the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's been buried in this other town, in this abandoned field, and then when people find it, they sell everything they have to buy the field and the treasure. The kingdom of God is like that. Jesus saying, my, my kingdom is here 
you can see with my hands. As he comes to the disciples after his resurrection, we talked about this just a few weeks ago, that he says like, no, no, the kingdom really is here. You can trust it. Like, look at the wounds on my hand. I've risen from the dead. There's not a single thing that can hold us back. And because this is true, that the kingdom of God is at hand, our apathy, I think, can fade away. Uh, and we see it, and we, we see the, the mess around us. We see the lack of the kingdom of God, and we bring it to Jesus saying, please, come. As if we're asking the one who's in charge of everything, as if we're, we're going to the one who's seated on the throne, who is the king, and we say, in this mess, in this mess that I'm in, bring your full kingdom. You know, in this grief that I'm walking through, bring your full kingdom. You know, in this community and in this neighborhood that, that is so, like, distorted, bring your full kingdom. Uh, in my life, my brokenness, my, my, my lack, bring your full kingdom. In this broken home that I'm in, bring your kingdom. Uh, in this crooked industry where, where everything doesn't seem to be working out completely correctly, bring your kingdom, rule and reign in that. In this dysfunctional church, bring your kingdom. Let you be in charge. Like That's what we want to see. And here's what uh, we have to understand with those prayers, which is why I think apathy is so hard, is that to pray those prayers is to involve yourself in what's happening. It's to bring you into it. You don't get to step out of it and say, like, that's a mess. But to stay there praying, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a, a church of priests, means that we're going to stand and we're going to be there between these two worlds, appealing and advocating for the rule and the reign of God to come here. Uh, we pray on behalf of a world. Like that that's, that's part of the ministry of the saints. Like that's your ministry. Uh, you can do a lot of service in this church. You can do a lot of great things in the world. But to be a believer in this place, in this world, in this time, is to be someone who prays for this world. Uh, our prayers are, as I said before, inviting God, do your will in this city. Do your will in this culture, in this government, in this marketplace. Uh, this prayer is one that, that creates the certainty of trust and hope that, God, you will work here. You will uh, embody and create a physical manifestation of your grace and your peace and your love. And so we pray. And, and there's a few layers of things to pray through. And if you've been doing the guide, you've heard about these, these layers. Uh, the first is to pray for the kingdom to come within you. Uh, that, that, that you want God and what he desires and everything to be uncontested within you. That you would seek the kingdom. So the question is, are you willing to seek it? Are you willing to ask, God, would you reign in me? You know, are you, uh, the next one is praying for the kingdom to come around you, you know, in your home, uh, in the, the sphere of influence around you. Are you willing to pursue the kingdom there? You might even think like, in this house, in this kitchen, God, reign what you want. Be here, rule and reign. And then there's the prayer for the kingdom of God beyond us entirely. In those realms that we have no, no fingers in. Like we don't, we don't get a touch. We're not the people in charge. And yet we pray, bring your kingdom there. Are you willing to participate and involve yourself in the city and beyond? 
this prayer uh, is a statement of belief, uh, a realization of God's presence in the earth, and, and a cry to the only one who can change the earth. It's like, I really wish John Lennon knew Jesus. That song could have been really great. I mean, it still is pretty great. Uh, you can listen to it across the universe. But, but the, this prayer is one to know that like, we're crying out to like, God, you can change this world, and you're going to. Like your whole thing, your whole life, uh, your whole purpose is about that. Because the truth is, is that the story of Scripture ends with those threads of covenant and kingdom joining together, where there's a city kingdom, where all grief and sadness and brokenness is torn down, and all that is left is the healing of the nations. And God's saying, I'm dwelling with my people. They know me, and I know them, and I am in charge of this place. And it is all beauty from ashes. It's all hope from grief. And that's where it's all headed, that kind of kingdom. Uh, It's a prayer for God. Uh, This prayer is a prayer for God to make his will known and visible in our world. Uh, And so I I want us to to practice this prayer this morning. Uh, And so what we'll do right now is even you think through those first two layers of praying for God to come in you and around you. And I just want us to have a a group out loud time of praying uh, where you can pray your own prayer out loud and the rest of us get to hear it and participate in it for the kingdom to come in your life, uh, for the kingdom of God to come in the world around you. Uh, and then we'll, we'll sing and we'll pray some more as well. But yeah, let's, let's take some time to pray for the kingdom to come in us. Jesus, give me a heart that seeks uh, the kingdom. Uh, help me to to long for it, to ask for it, um, bring it top of my mind, uh, put it on my lips, this prayer. Uh, I want to see uh, your kingdom come in this place and in my life. Um, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen.